get our Bibles back open to Matthew 7, please. Matthew 7, and looking in verse 13 again. We'll read it one more time before we start. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Father, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from Your law. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. Sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood. Looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other. It's just as fair. Having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy wanted where, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. Both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by. That has made all the difference. You may recognize those words from Robert Frost, his, probably his most famous poem, The Road Not Taken. What you may not know about this poem, it was kind of written as a joke. Back in 1915, when he penned these words, he wrote them as a joke to his friend Edward Thomas. Edward Thomas was his neighbor and his uh, a fellow poet and a friend of his, and one of the, the qualities about Thomas was that he was a very indecisive man. He had a very tough time making decisions. When they would go on walks together, they would come to forks in the road, and Thomas would debate and struggle over which direction to take. And Frost told him one time, no matter which road you take, you'll always sigh and wish you'd taken another one. And though it was never Frost's intention to uh, take this poem uh, as a serious thought, as a, but many have done that. They've, they see this as a reflection of the importance and value of a single decision. When I read these verses together, I always think of this poem by Frost. As Jesus wrapped up His teaching in the Sermon of Matthew, He has finished back in verse 12 with all of the teaching portion of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And now He concludes with several more verses with a call to action. This is a response to the truth that He presents to us. We see that every if you pay attention to the structure of a sermon, even that you might hear in this pulpit or in other, uh, in other uh, venues, you can usually tell when, when it shifts from teaching to application, and that's exactly what Christ is doing here. And in the concluding verses of the sermon, we find three illustrations, or four, depending on how you're going to classify them, that encourage us to act in specific ways to Jesus' teaching. In verses 13 and 14, kind of give you a little bit of a heads up what, what, what's going to happen for the next, uh, next several verses. In verses 13 and 14, we see the illustration of, of uh, these two different gates and two different ways. Then in verses 15 to 23, we see this is where it could be one or two different illustrations of the two different types of trees which bear two different types of 
fruit. And which uh, is illustrating here two different types of disciples or prophets. Then and finally in verses 24 to 27, we read the very famous Sunday school illustration of the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And Jesus illustrates here two foundations, two builders who build two foundations, one which withstands the test of time and one of which crumbles. And in these three illustrations, we see a black and white difference between truth and error. Jesus strongly emphasized to us uh, throughout His teaching, but specifically in this conclusion here, that there are really only two options. Specifically in our verses uh, this morning, there are two ways to go. There are two gates by which to enter. One leads to life, and at the end of the other is destruction. Now, each illustration describes it a little differently, but very, very clearly, this idea of destruction. If you look in verse number uh, 13, we see that uh, it's described as destruction. In verse number 19, we see that the wrong choice is, uh, is, uh, ends with fire. And then in verse number 27, the wrong foundation leads to a great fall. And Jesus pointed out what He's pointing out here in, in each of these illustrations in a slightly different ways is a very central truth that really for the next three uh, looks at this at the rest of this uh, sermon, I really want you to, to take hold of. And that is this. Not all who profess to be disciples of Jesus truly are. Not all those who think they're on the right path really are. Not everybody who builds a house builds it to stand. That's what we find in these concluding verses. Now, as in Frost's poem, who described two different paths to take, uh, Jesus also presents us in the first illustration two different paths or two different roads to take. This two-way, either-or, yes-or-no, black-or-white dichotomy is found throughout the Scriptures uh, but and also it's found throughout Jewish literature. So as the people would have heard this, this would have been uh, something that they would have been very uh, familiar with hearing this. There's not many different ways. It's been all narrowed down. There's a yes, there's a no, there's a right, there's a wrong, there's a black, there's a white, there's an off, there's an on. But where Frost described two equally appealing roads, two roads that really had no, not much difference between them, and really neither had an advantage over the other one, Jesus describes some two roads that are very different from one another. They're, they're actually quite the opposite. One looks significantly more appealing and attractive. It looks easier to travel down than the other one. It has a wide gate. It is easy to pass through. And it is the more popularly chosen route. But, as Jesus tells us in the end, the end, which cannot be seen from the beginning, always leads to destruction. It is, in fact, the opposite of what the entire journey promises those who travel down. The other path, and the one that Jesus encourages to take, doesn't look easy from the very beginning. It has a sign, narrow gate. And it, and it promises to be that the entire way, narrow and and uh, and constricting it will not be easy but it doesn't ever promise to be easy and from the start it guarantees to be narrow difficult to navigate 
But Jesus promised that the end is always worth the struggle. And so we look at these two verses, and let me share with you three thoughts from here. Number one is simply what Jesus instructs us here. Enter through the narrow gate. He says, enter at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. First of all, we see here the instruction of the illustration here. This is our call to action. Enter at the narrow gate or the straight gate. Now this is this is different than when we use the word straight as in it's not crooked. This is a different spelling and a totally different word altogether. And so uh, if you're using uh, a, a modern translation, you're going to see it says narrow gate. It's a, it's a narrow road. It's not, a, it's not necessarily a straight shot. Uh, there's going to be ups and downs and bumps and curves and, 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 uh, and dips and, and all of those things. But Jesus is explaining here that we need to enter by that narrow gate. There are two options here, and only one of them should be taken. This, uh, this, uh, this, this gate is, is narrow, but we are invited to enter in. Don't let the narrowness of the gate keep you from entering through. Don't let it deceive you at what lies in store. Don't be turned off because it looks a little bit more difficult than the other one because it's not as easy, as appealing as the other one. Jesus says, no, I invite you, go through this gate, enter in at the narrow gate. But don't be deceived either. It's not going to change. Jesus is is, is never going to throw a surprise at us here. From the very beginning, He has promised us this is not going to be an easy gate. The word narrow implies that it is constricting and allows for no deviation. The path promises to be the same. Christ is being honest with those who would follow Him that the Christian life involves exactly what it began with. He's very clear that following Him through the gate is going to include a cross, self-denial. He's already promised us in His message persecution and reviling. He's required from us a greater commitment of righteousness than the religious elite, and He's called us to go beyond what others would be expected or expect of us. So make no mistake, this is going to be a demanding path. This gate is a narrow gate, but He still invites us to enter through. We see this not only as an invitation, but also as an imperative. This is a command. Enter. You enter in at the straight gate. No one can remain neutral here. As we stand at the, at the fork in the road and we see what may be two paths leading in two different directions, there is no neutrality here. There is no standing still. There is no waiting. In fact, to not enter in at the narrow gate means you have entered into the other. We must choose a path. We will enter one of two gates. And Jesus' command to enter the narrow gate reminds us that simply agreeing with His teaching is not enough. Simply understanding and saying, yeah, that sounds good, to everything He said for the past three chapters is not going to please Him. He requires action. There must be response. And it must affect us to a behavior. Later on in verse 26, we realize that we really are no better for hearing unless we do something about it, unless we obey. Finally, we see this as a warning. 
not to choose the wrong gate because there is a wrong gate. In our society today, people don't want to be told that there is a right and there is a wrong. Everything needs to turn out okay at the end and everybody needs to get a participation trophy and, 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 if, I, and if I say that it's wrong, then I'm, I'm inflicting something upon you. I'm enforcing my own beliefs upon you. But Jesus doesn't care. He says, listen, there's a wrong gate and there's a right gate. Enter the right one and don't, don't enter the wrong one. It's very, very clear there. There is a black and white. There is a right and a wrong. And Christ's instruction to enter a narrow gate means that there is a danger here of entering the wrong gate. And he describes it to us at the end of verse 13 there in the next line. He says, For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. This gate looks better. The word broad there means spacious. It's got a lot of room. It's roomier. It's, it's wider. It, it, it looks easier. It's, it's going to be uh, uh, wide enough that I don't have to leave anything behind in order to pass through it. You've ever gone hiking in some of these trails around here up in the, in the hills? You, you find these, these little rock formations that really don't uh, allow for two people to walk side by side, and sometimes they get narrow enough that you've got to turn sideways and kind of shimmy your way through, and that's that narrow entrance. And other times they are wide. And this path looks wide. There are no hedges and boundaries that kind of prohibit me on my journey here. It provides me the freedom to go my own way and do as I please. He says there that this is a more popular way. He says at the end of verse 13, many go this way. Many there be which go thereat. Grant Osborne described this way as the way of the world which accepts any pattern of life. People can carry anything they wish along it. So many will travel this road. Honestly, this is the natural choice. Why would you choose the hard thing? Why wouldn't you choose the easy way? But a popular path does not make it a right path. The easiest gate doesn't make it the right gate. Jesus warns us here very clearly. This is the gate that leads to destruction. This is the way that is popular, but it will lead to ruin. It is the natural choice, but in the end, you will be destroyed. Jesus describes both gates and both paths to us so that we might know on which we stand. That's really what I, what I want you to, to reflect on as we go through these verses this morning. Which path am I on? Through which gate did I enter? And so the warning is this. Do not enter the wide gate. Do not take the broad way. You must learn to recognize the proper gate. Because the proper gate doesn't look like what we think it should look like. And the proper way, the right way, doesn't look the way that we, the majority, think it should look. How do I know I'm on the right gate? Well, if it's true that not only one that only one path leads to life, and that not everyone is on that path, and if it's true that that the path that leads to life is not the obvious one, it's not the natural choice. How do we know if we're on the right path? Well, Jesus said that many do not enter the narrow gate. In fact, he said at the end of verse fourteen, "Few find it. Many don't enter it because few even." find it. So how do I know 
I'm on the right path. How will you know that you have entered the right gate? And how will we know before we reach the end? Because once you reach the end of that path, there is either life or destruction. And you don't want to wait to find out if you got it right. You don't want to wait to the end to see if you chose correctly. How can we be certain we have entered the life gate? Well, if you go all the way back, I'm not asking you to, but if you go back in your minds to the beginning of the sermon, in chapter 5, we see who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to His disciples, the people who follow Him. And I had to ask myself this question, why is Jesus talking to His followers about choosing the path? Haven't you already done that if you're a follower of Christ? What I think Jesus is doing here is that He is being very clear about what it means to follow Christ, what it does not mean. It's possible that among those in the audience, there were those who were not yet followers. They were just there. They were just kind of caught up in the crowd. And it's also possible and very likely that there were those there who thought, yeah, I'm a believer. Yeah, I profess I'm a follower of Jesus. And yet they truly weren't. Think about all of the stories through the Gospels of people who who heard Jesus, who followed Jesus, and they, and they agreed with them, and then all of a sudden He would say something that they didn't like. They would not do, he would not do what they expected Him to do, and the Bible says that they would leave. In fact, He got so bad at the one point that Jesus turns to the twelve and says, are you going to also go away? Because everyone else was leaving. And, and the, the, the man who, who had thousands following Him, and at one point were trying to make Him the King, is forsaken by almost all of them. So not everybody who professes to be a follower really is a follower. There are those who believe they have entered the life gate. And they believe that they're believers. That they have followed Jesus. And yet in reality, they're on a much broader, much more dangerous path. In fact, the reason they're on the bad path is because they did not enter the narrow gate. And it is evidenced by the path they travel. And to those people, Christ is saying, check the gate. What gate did you enter? Where did you come through? And then look at the way that you're going. What is the path that you're on right now? What does that look like? Because if it's not the narrow path, it wasn't through the narrow gate. And if it's not the narrow path from the narrow gate, it's not going to lead to life. Was the gate that you entered broad and easy? Were you able to pass through it without leaving anything of your life behind? Is the path that you're on now crowded with many others who have also never changed? Through one gate, we are promised that old things are passed away and all things become new. But through the other gate, come as you are and stay as you are. Nothing wrong with the way you're living. So which path are you on? Now, as Jesus continues here, he's going to admonish the hearers not only to check their gate, but then in a few verses he's going to say to check your fruit. And then a few verses later, he's going to say, check your foundation. And these are the signs that we use to ensure that we are following Christ. Because only Jesus' followers enter the narrow gate. 
only those who truly follow Christ will be on the narrow path. You can't be on the narrow path and not be a follower of Christ. It's not the natural choice. It's too hard. It's too narrow. It's, it's too restrictive. That word there uh, is translated, it means confining. It's constricting. You, you don't get to do what you want to do on this path. And only those who truly are following Christ are going to find themselves on this path. Jesus said it is a narrow and limiting one. I like how many have described it in my study as a turnstile. You know, when you go to the, the baseball game or you go to the, 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 the amusement park, whatever, and, and all the crowds have to funnel down to one turnstile. And only one person can go through at a time. You don't automatically kind of get sucked into the narrow gate. Every person goes through on his own. And it, what it does, it suggests a difficulty here in passing through and in traveling along. But Christ never promised it would be easy, did He? I mean, somewhere along the line, we began to think that being Christian meant it was going to be a happy life. It was going to be a good life. And we thought that following Christ would mean smooth roads and happy times all the way. But that's not what Jesus meant, is it? Because what did He say? If you would follow Me, take up your cross. And the cross wasn't something that they, that they chose as, hey, we want that to be our, our logo for Christianity. That was something that said, you're going to die the most humiliating and the most agonizing death that possible. But he said, that's what you'll carry along the narrow road. We've come to believe that if the journey, if one journey is so easy, it must be that God is blessing. It must be that God has, has, has done this. Why wouldn't Jesus make a easy way for me to follow? Why wouldn't He take all the bumps and all the dips away? Why wouldn't He straighten it out and make it comfortable and smooth? The wide gate allows me to bring whatever I wish along the journey. Nothing is given up. Nothing is lost. But the narrow gate demands that I leave everything behind. Take up a cross. Perhaps no one understood the difficulty that lies beyond the narrow gate and along the narrow way better than the Apostle Paul. He reminded the Christians in Acts 14.22, he said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. In his letter to the Romans, Paul wrote that as children of God, we must suffer with Christ in order that we may also be glorified with Romans 8.17. But he goes on to say that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. There is suffering. There are hardships. That means that a hard path doesn't mean it's the wrong path. Struggles along the way don't mean that you've taken the wrong way. Or that you should turn back. In fact, those difficulties can provide assurance that we have entered the narrow gate and that we are going down the right way that leads to life. Notice Jesus says in verse 14 that it is an unpopular path. Straight is the gate, narrows the way which leads to life, and few there be find it. Since few find it, that means that not many will even take it. But unpopularity also does not mean that you've chosen the wrong way. Being alone on the narrow road doesn't mean you should turn back. Just like finding it difficult doesn't mean turn around. 
And I recognize within my own self this tendency to kind of follow the crowd. If you've ever driven in unfamiliar traffic, or maybe you've gone the, the wrong way down a one-way street back in Seattle, everything is one-ways, and where you got off of the freeway is not where you're getting back on. And the one thing that comforts me when I'm driving in unfamiliar territory is seeing somebody else do what I'm about to do. If I'm not sure if I should go down that way and I see another car go that way, I think, oh, it must be okay. Now, that guy might be just as wrong and clueless as I am. He just happens to be in front of me. But in my mind, in my heart, I'm comforted thinking, oh, this is much better now. At least we'll both get in trouble together rather than just me. But that's how we live our life. We call it peer pressure. And that is not how we should choose the path. The path that we choose will not be chosen by many. The path that we should choose. We do not determine right and wrong by popularity. It can be dangerous. But on the narrow way, as we think about it, you never really are quite alone. Because the one who calls us to follow Him is also on the path. He's also walked that path with us. And He says, follow me. But he also provides us the companionship and encouragement. And that's why we have what we have here, a local church full of for people who have chosen the narrow path and the narrow gate, and we walk it together and we encourage one another and we strengthen one another and we, and we support each other because it's not easy. And it was not intended for you to be alone. Though it's not popular and though we may be the minority, we can know that we're on the right path through the encouragement and support that we give each other. Now, this thought that few ever even find this narrow gate is really interesting to me because notice that Jesus didn't tell them to find the narrow gate. He said, enter the narrow gate. It makes me wonder how anyone can find and stand at the entrance to this pathway to life. I mean, think about it. How did I, how did you, out of the many, many, many who miss it, how did I come to find it? How did I find the narrow gate to enter through? Certainly it's nothing within me. I'm not wiser than the, the millions who will pass by. I'm no smarter than those and, and have, have used my own wit and intellect to find the narrow gate that so many were unable to do. What is it that got you and got me to find the narrow gate, let alone have the opportunity to enter? The answer is simple. The answer is grace. It's all of God's grace. Matthew Henry writes, we can neither go in or go on without the assistance of divine grace. That's what Paul meant in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, when he wrote, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. How did you find the narrow gate? How did you get to be on the narrow way? Begin a journey that leads to life? It's only by God's grace. So as Paul told the Corinthian church, let us examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. Because the, the, the road that is wide and is spacious and is broad and is roomy is filled with people who are convinced they're going the right direction. 
They're convinced that they're going down the right track, but in the end, they will find that they have been headed towards destruction. So examine your life. Ask yourself the question, am I in the path? Am I in Christ? Of course, the church is supposed to only be made up of those who are believers and followers of Christ, but we'd be fools to think that every person that comes to the door is truly on the narrow path. And I can't look at you and decide, and you don't look at me and decide. We look to the Scriptures and we decide, have I entered the narrow gate? Am I walking down the narrow path? Have I taken the narrow road? Because to truly follow Christ, we must enter by the narrow gate. And you must walk the narrow way. There is a way that leads to life. But it is a narrow one. It is only in Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As Jesus finishes his discourse here, he urges the listeners to act upon his words. He says it's not enough to hear. It's not enough to simply agree with all of the things that he's taught us thus far. Each hearer must respond with action. As you consider your way, consider the end. Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote that the man who does not consider his destination is a fool. The man who makes traveling an end in itself is illogical and inconsistent. This road of life that we're on. There's an end. Consider that end. Where will it end for you? Will it end in life? Will it end in destruction? Now, if you have found the narrow gate, don't be discouraged by its demands and restrictions going to be a difficult gate to get through. It's going to be a difficult way to follow. But regardless of the difficulty and the rigors of the way, remember that through the narrow way, we reach life. So enter by the narrow gate and take the narrow road and find life at the end. Again, not many find it. There are many right now today who are living their life and enjoying every moment of it, and yet they're not on the right path. If you have found the narrow road, and it is only by God's grace that you do find the narrow road, and if God has blessed you by placing you in front of the narrow road, the gate to life, enter. That's what he says. Respond. Accept the invitation. Follow His command. Frost wrote at the end of this poem, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. You can ask anybody who's on the narrow road, who's chosen to enter through the narrow gate. They will attest that though the way is hard and lonely, it truly makes all the difference. 